watch them demons shake. Hey, man, here you come with all that stuff, man. Come on, let's go, man. Life and death is in your tongue, so watch what you say. Hey, real talk, what you say yeah. around here, too, man, real talk. Cause name's way. If you don't know about Father Rahai, his name's way. And you don't know about his son, you shot his name's way. Receive the gift of Rawakadah, his name's way. Forever screaming, Kram Yasharal, his name's way. You ain't got to tell me names whole way. I'm calling a higher. Calling them out. Kicking them tables over. Just like you shy. Digital download of the hard copy. Man, them two by twos. Some of these Hebrews be acting feminine. We call them two wonk fools. Huh, I'm laughing at them. Same time, one foot past them. I ain't trying to be the boy's favorite rapper. They only rap because they Twitter popular. That's the difference between me and them. I'm the son of Jacob. They the son of sin. The rock open, so I'm going in. We don't go ham, but we go shim. I'll cut that bird, put his fur on. Great warrior like Gideon. I tell you the truth, do what you do. I can't judge you like Gideon. I get these boys from my Abba. Rock is my ghost while the word shot me I'm ready for that war, you know I'm a rider. Left hand on my strap, right hand on my Bible, yeah. Every day I'm getting tested, but I don't fall against that's progression. Got a whole list of do's and don'ts. Just have a seat, get yeah, class and session. Praise the Father, yeah, that's a blessing. You relate to somebody in the same stages. Yeah, I love them when the beat bang, but you know they hate it when we're Judah making. Yeah, time they see us come. Watch them demons shake. Hey, man, here you come with all that stuff, man. Come on, let's go. Life and death is in your tongue, so watch what you say. Hey, real talk, what you say yeah. around here, too, man, real talk. name's way. If you don't know about Father Rahai, his name's way. And you don't know about his son, you shot his name's way. Receive the gift of Rawakadah, his name's way. Forever screaming, Kram Yasharal, his name's way. Take mind what you telling me. Cause I sit through muddy water and I ain't buying no dreams. So you best watch what you selling me. Lou and Miser at the STL. I'm at the triple D, but like we come from the same place. Cause if you stated, then you have to show me it like I come straight out there. Show me state. Our doctors best coordinate. Our powers best correlate. And we live for your science. So if we inspire your son, who him gonna resuscitate? Real tutor. You ain't holy, but I still see through you. We are messing, you say recycling bin. The way you let him reuse ya. Try to walk my walk the journey to the kingdom man is like a foot race. Try to use the fruits of the spirit, but then they be acting just like some fruitcakes. I turn my teeth for his name's sake, but brother, I only have two of them. So you best leave me alone for I smack principalities and vessels they be residing in. I take it for quiet as the highs and the lows, so that people watch me inspire my flows. I pray that I hire by how things desire, they are my power, you already know. The way Jay's hate is like we the star, but they got it all wrong. Show about the father, son, and the spirit, man, the father's soup rule. Shy, this be my theme song. Every time they see us come, watch them demons shake. Hey man, here you come with all that stuff, man. Come on, let's go. Man. Life and death is in your tongue, so watch what you say. Hey, real talk, what you say yeah. around here too, man. Real His talk. name's whole way. If you don't know about Father Rahai, his uh, name's whole way. And you don't know about his son, you shot his name's whole way. Receive the gift of Rawakadah, his name's whole way. Forever screaming, hey, love. Mom, yes, hey, love. His name's whole way. Messiah oh, should be over 2,000 years old. But the letter J didn't come until 1524. Now go and search for your proof. See what all these names mean. Then read Hosea 2, verse 16 and 17. Or Hosea 4 and 6. We perish for lack of knowledge. Good evening, good evening. This is Real Talk 101 here on a Sunday afternoon at the Box Wave Studio. Um, my name is Brad Trammell. I've uh, been the host here for quite some time. Thanks to Reggie and Ron for for allowing us uh, an opportunity to do ministry here. Usually my co-pilot is right here with me, Mr. Orlando Boyd, but 
Tonight he's indisposed. Um, keep him in your prayers as usual. Keep me in your prayers as usual. Uh, I got something to get into this evening. Don't know how long it's going to take. I can't imagine we'll be utilizing it for two hours. But uh, I got something on my mind. I'm going to get it off um, in all transparency. A uh, couple things I want to remember in prayer as we open up. Uh, my grandmother, she's going through mental and physical health issues as, as come with age. Definitely keep her lifted up. Um, my boy Darian Claxton, who I've talked about several times on the show, who was in Arizona, just moved back to this area, and I believe he got into town uh, yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. I may be mistaken, but anyway, he last time I spoke to him, he was in the hall, a U-Haul truck, driving cross-country with his furniture, heading to this area. His wife and his kids are already here, so he'll be on the show. Uh, it'll be good to have him, man. He's a good brother. Um, has been been rapping to him for a real long time. He's gonna come right in where he fits in, so I'm happy about that. Um, my brother Tommy, who was here last week with us, uh, he uh, got a couple nuggets of truth that caused him to start learning after I talked to Orlando. That was uh, that was good to hear. And my boy, uh, the rest of my brothers, uh, Nate, Damon, uh, Lamar, you know, just keep all them brothers lifted. So uh, we're gonna get right into it. Let's uh, go ahead and um, open with a word of prayer. Lord, yeah, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for bringing me here to this place. Lord, I pray that um, whatever happens, that I decrease and that you increase. Let it be your word spoken and not mine. I have your way, and I pray that the listeners and viewers of this can hear a word from you and learn something about you that causes them to have want to have a closer relationship with you. No matter who they are or what they've done, the most important thing they can have is a relationship with you. Christ's blood has already afforded that relationship, that gap to be closed, Lord. So we thank you for this. Please let your Holy Spirit dwell within this place and be with Ron and Reg and their families and uh, all the shows, all the people who, uh, who run shows here on um, on Vox Wave, Lord. I pray that you be with them. Uh, please forgive me of any and all sinners. And if we right now, I pray in the name of your son, Yeshua. Amen. So, got a little bit of a testimony, and it ties into... Um, a story of the Bible. Now, my, uh, you know, you ask people who their favorite biblical characters are, or who they are. You know, say who they see, and usually people pick people who they see themselves being. Like some people choose Samson, Moses, Peter, uh, uh, um, Paul. You know, saying we should all try to be like Christ. Really, that's that's the one we're trying to be like. But my favorite character in the Bible is David, because I see a lot of myself in him. He had a lot of similar struggles. David, uh, he, you know, he. He was a humble dude. He, he did what, what the Father wanted him to do. And that was the biggest testimony about him. He is a man after Yah's own heart. That's what it says in order. He's a man after his heart. And that's, so I always used to ask myself the question, what characteristics or attributes would I need to have in order to have a heart that is like, you know, or be a man after God's own heart? And um, really what it is is a willingness to be humble and admit your mistakes and turn back to him. Now, what we do know as human beings is that when we're in this life, you know, from birth to the grave, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. But there's the essence of pride that each one of us has. Sometimes we're very reluctant to admit that we made mistakes when really failures are our biggest teacher. You can't learn nothing unless you fail. You can't learn nothing unless you make a mistake. Because if you do everything always perfect, you're going to think that that's the way. But seeing that we are fallible, we always make mistakes, you know, that's where you can learn. I heard there was a one quote that I got off a social media site that said, I never lose. I either win or I learn. You don't win or lose. You win or learn. And that's a great way of looking at it because not only, you know what I'm saying, are you recognizing that you're not losing, but you're taking the aspect of 
forward thinking. Like I'm gonna take whatever happened to me, I'm gonna learn from it, and I'm not gonna make the same mistake again going forward. I'm not gonna do what they call insanity, which is repeating the same thing over and over and trying to get a different result. So, um, quick testimony um, that leads me into this word, and uh, yeah, I'll get into where I am in the, in the scriptures in a second. Um, but what, what the deal was, was the fact that last evening, there was a program at one of the churches that we had done a program at before, Bladensburg by name, and they had uh, requested that Orlando and I come up there and do a bit of sermonic flow like we usually do. And um, we did that. And there were two segments that we had. I took the first segment and Orlando took the second one. But I'm gonna walk you through my thought process of what happened with me that evening. Um, when I was first, when I had the request and I thought about what sermonic flow I was gonna do, initially I was going to do an actual track. And the track that I was gonna do was actually gonna be very aggressive. And I know what type of audience that you know I try to aim for it to be for, or that I would, you know, I, I think it would belong to. And when I came to the venue and assessed the audience, I was dis I was discouraged in spirit not to do it. Instead, what I was encouraged to do was spit a piece of sermonic flow that I already had memorized. And so what I did was I tried to add to that thought, which was not only to do the part of sermonic flow, which was a poem, or which was actually verse flow that I'd already memorized, but to do a poem that I had not memorized. I was just going to read it. And so what I was going to do was build a structure. And pretty much what it covered was the, uh, the night before and the day of when Yeshua died on the cross. So the night before, he was in Gethsemane. The next day, he died on the cross. The poem that I had not memorized talked about Gethsemane, but the one that I did know by heart dealt with him on the cross. And um, it was funny because when we got introduced, I had my phone up with the poem on there, and I had it ready. So when I got called, I stood up, and I, my thumb hit my phone. You know with these touchscreen phones, you do anything, and the whole thing shifts. So what happened was my thumb hit the screen, and when I pulled my phone back up to look at it to see the poem because I was about to recite it, the whole thing was gone. And then I was looking through my phone. I couldn't find it. So even to the point where I had gotten the microphone, I was actually in front of people, and I had to. I told them, you know, gave a breakdown of who I was and what I was about to do, but I apologized because I could not find the poem that I had prepared. So what I did to save space was I just recited the one that I knew from my heart. But what I did do that I know I probably shouldn't have done, not even probably, I shouldn't have done it, was I took, I was dead set on having the structure that I conceived in my own mind instead of going with what should have happened, which was just reciting the poem that I knew. So I told the audience, I was like, when it's our chance to come back up here again, I'm going to read the one that I could not find because I couldn't find it. And so I, res I recited the first poem, and it goes with something like this. It's, it's, it's really my definition of love in a different perspective. And what it goes like, it was, it was windy and dreary, the clouds were gray and now they're getting darker. His face was dripping spit, sweat, and blood. Hanging makes breathing harder. Pharisees smirking, laughing while soldiers got the dice they shaking. Weeping, wailing, tears from disciples got demons celebrating. Haters claiming he say he from God. Why can't he save himself? Not realizing he paid the cost because there was no one else. There was silence in heaven. Hands on weapons. Angels stood at the ready. Waiting to kill. But think about me. Yeshua was holding steady. I praise my God and my King. Yes, he's my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit turning my prayers into sweet smelling savor. 
He was beaten and bruised, scourged again and again, just to save me from my sin, from my sin. He was despised and was hated, but I thank God that he made it and gave his life so I wouldn't be wretched, poor, blind, and naked. That blood that bought my salvation, so what is your hesitation? Because that's love. And that's what I spit for him last night. And then when I sat down, I talked to O, and like briefly, because O was sitting in front of me, he was like, man, that was your slot. You know what I'm saying? You did your thing. And I was like, man, and I was so bent on the fact that I could not find that poem that in my mind I was like I, I'm going to find it and I'm going to give it to him on the second go round but the second slot was old slot and he had what he was told to do by the most high so when we got caught up there next I stood up and I went up there with O and I recited my poem and I stumbled over it a bit and I also read it and even messed up some of the words that could have left some people confused inadvertently. I said the name of Jesus and I said the name of Yeshua because the name of Jesus was in the previous poem because it was pre-revelation. What I just spit for you was post-revelation. Um, and when that happened, and when I sat down, I was actually thinking about it and I got frustrated because of the fact that I stumbled over my words, that I used both names, and that I felt like I overall just took my will and placed it above the Lord's, and then I got frustrated at that. Albeit Everything ended to the point where I dipped out of there, like before the program was even over, because I was just, I was through, and, you know. And I made a mistake by doing that. Number one, I put my will above his. Number two, I reacted how I shouldn't react. I didn't stand up to meet uh, or to clarify anything I've said and tell people that, you know what I'm saying, or to explain what I did and explain it better, because I could have let people confused, and that's never what I want to do when I stand up is to leave people confused. And I had a conversation with O this morning, and he put that plainly. One thing I respect about O more than anything else, he ain't going to cut no cards, he ain't going to sugarcoat nothing. He going to tell me exactly how it is. Now, anybody that know O, that's how he is. But the thing is, we can do that to each other, and we can do it with respect. A lot of people do that, and they beef. You know what I'm saying? You got certain people who try to tell you like it is, you become the blows with them. It's not like that with me and O, because we know what the purpose or the foundation of why we're doing it. We're trying to better one another so that we can be better utensils in the master's hand. So when I know that and I'm receiving that counsel coming from him, I know it's not just coming from him, it's coming from the most high, so I respect it. And he's told me that about myself too, so we do it to one another. And that's why we have this show and that's why we have this dynamic. And I'm never gonna take that for granted because that is, it's iron sharpening iron. That's pretty much what it is and I'm appreciative for it. And had it not been for that conversation, I wouldn't be here right now about to tell you what I'm about to tell you in relation to this story about David. <laughs> That's how this whole thing works. I want you to hear what I just said. Had it not been for my selfish attitude last night and me reacting the way I did, O would not have gone back, looked at it, because it was recorded by his brother. Then he would not have had the chance to have a conversation with me this morning about it which in turn spurred me when I finished that conversation to come to here tonight and talk about it because he's not here. And had I known, had we not had that whole ordeal happen yesterday, I probably wouldn't be here myself, just being honest. I could find something else to do, you know. But I was impressed by the most high to come here and tell you that because somebody needs to hear it. I don't know who it is. It ain't for me to know. You know. But I'll tell you like this. It is very important to learn how to humble yourself before the Most High. Very important. Pride is the number one reason why Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. 
the number one reason. And the scriptures even say that God the Father bore along with him. So he had chances. There was, he bore along, which means, you know parents how it is with your kids. They, they messing up doing something, but you bear along with them. Why? Because you love them. They're your seed. They're, they're your offspring. That's how the father bore with Lucifer, but his pride kept him from repentance. His pride kept him from humility. And that is one of the greatest, if not the greatest thing that we as human beings deal with on a regular basis is learning when and where to be humble. And if we're not going to be humble to one another, we definitely got to be humble to God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing. Now, you got to believe that. If you don't believe that, then, of course, why would you ever be humble towards him? But when you believe that and you're convicted of that, then it's not hard to be humble because you know how much he loves you. Anything he's telling you and sculpting you and shaping you up to be, he's not doing it to hurt you or hurt your feelings. Matter of fact, the Most High is very gracious when he corrects you. He'll do it in private. He ain't going to embarrass you. The devil will do that. The devil will lead you to do something stupid, leave you out there by yourself and then laugh at you and bring more people around to see your embarrassment because he doesn't care. The Father's not going to do that. He doesn't operate like that. And anything that you may have heard that is opposite of that is a lie. And I'm here to tell you that. This is the story I'm bringing you today. It's about David. And it's about a point in time. David got humbled several times. <laughs> we can really rap about several times David got humbled. Um, probably the biggest that we know about is when he uh, took part in um, premeditated murder and adultery with a man's wife. He got the man killed, took his wife for himself because she was so fly and so beautiful. And she was bathing on a rooftop. I mean, she shouldn't have been doing that anyway if she's a married woman. But anyway, he took her as his wife because she was so fine. And he tried to hide the whole thing because he was the king. You know what I'm saying? When you got all power in your hand because you're a monarch, it's kind of easy to do that. But you cannot hide from God. And God called him on it. He sent him a prophet, told him that he was wrong in a parable form. But what did David do when he got caught red-handed? He didn't try to lie his way further. He didn't try to conceal the matter further. He laid himself prostrate on the floor and said, whatever. You said, you, you called me good money, Slum. You got me red-handed. You know what I'm saying? You caught me. I, I, ain't got, I ain't got no words. What should I do next? And that type of attitude, God can work with that. Y'all can work with that. He can always work with somebody who's willing to be humble because he knows the opposite of that is where he can't do nothing for you. How can you do something for somebody who won't admit they're wrong? How can you do something for somebody who, who, keep, who will not listen to reason? Because they believe that what they think and what they say and what they did truly is not offensive or truly did nothing wrong. You know what I'm saying? So when you have that type of attitude, it's a lot, it's a lot more difficult to deal with that person. So that's why having a mind of humility is a good thing to have. So where I'm coming to you from in the scriptures is the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I'm going to just break it down. I'm, not, I'm, going, I'm actually going to read it because I might as well read it. But I want to break down what's happening before I get to read it. So David is about two or three chapters earlier just newly been elected king over all Israel. Saul was the man before him, but we know if you if you don't know, you need to read first and second Samuel. I'm challenging you to read it and don't don't look at it like oh this is something. If you really want to know, you need to look at this dynamic because you will see a lot of things even within yourself or within society between this dynamic. You had an old monarch who was doing things his way. You know we got somebody in the White House right now who's doing things his way. A lot of people don't agree with it. And you got the man coming up right behind him. But he's showing him respect because the first dude was elected by God. You know what I'm saying? Even though that first dude wanted to kill him, Saul wanted to kill David. You do know that. But now everything is taking its course. 
He's left Saul's fate into the hands of the Almighty, which is the best thing we can do with any situation. And during Saul's reign, you know, things were jacked up in Israel. And the Philistines, who were the number one enemy, kind of like the Redskins and the Cowboys, <laughs> they said the number one rival of the Israelites was the Philistines. That's, that's the dynamic. And so the Philistines came through and one of their raiding parties and attacked, and they were successful because Israel had been tripping. They had been turning their face away from the Father. And what they did was they got their hands on this piece, this artifact called the Ark. Now, if you ain't never heard about the Ark of God, then man, I remember they made this movie called, not called, but Indiana Jones. One of the first Jones was Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And they made a whole storyline behind them jokers going to find the Ark of the Covenant. And I thought that was wild back in the day. Even when I watch it now, the Jones is wild. Because even at the end of the movie, some crazy stuff happens. You know, they open the joint and all this crazy stuff start happening. People start dying. Anyway, all that's fiction. But anyway, the Ark did exist. It was made of solid gold. And inside of the ark were, first I do know there was the Ten Commandments of God, the Ten Commandments that he wrote with his hand. And then there was Moses' staff that was also in there, I believe. I may be mistaken on that, but I believe it's in there. Anyway, this is a very holy and this is a very holy vessel because what it represents is the law is inside the ark. Then on top of the law, the covering, is a mercy seat. And then there are two cherubim on the side of, of the mercy seat. What that represents is God ruling in mercy over his law, which is very significant. He has law that if we break it, he has the power to show us mercy. Why? Because Christ died on the cross for us. But that was all representative in the ark. This was a very holy vessel. Matter of fact, there was a particular way in which the ark could be transported, or had to be transported, should I say. A particular way that it had to be taken care of. It couldn't just be tossed about or just left in the open. What the Israelites tended to do, and this is how it got taken, they took it with them in battle so that they could win. It's like, if we got the ark with us, then if we go out and fight, we definitely going to win because we got the presence of God. But the problem was they did not do things the way God wanted them to do it. And they were presumptuous, kind of like I was presumptuous with my program last night, what I wanted to do. And because they were presumptuous, the Philistines ended up whooping their behind and taking the ark. Now, two things happened off of this. First of all, Israel's in shambles because they lost the ark and they got their butt beat. But now the Philistines think they got a leg up because they got the ark. So they take it, and this is just a side note because this ain't where I'm going, but they take the ark and they take it back to their temple with their god, whose name is Dagon. That's who they worship. They take the ark and place it below Dagon, who's standing up over. They had him, you know, standing vertically. And I remember in, in, in the scripture, I can find the scripture if you want, but look this up on Google. When the, uh, the ark in Dagon in the same temple. You can Google that and find out what happened in the Word if you're really interested. But what happened was, at night they put the Ark of the Covenant in the same temple as Dagon by his feet, like where the feet is. And the next morning when they went into the temple, Dagon had broken. He was no longer standing vertical and he was laying down with his head towards the Ark. It's a stone. So in the middle of the night, an angel came down and cut that joint with one fellow swoop and caused the idol to bow down to the ark because initially they had the ark before the idol. But then in addition to that, a whole bunch of other mess started happening. They started getting plagued and, and a whole bunch of other manifestations of God's power was against them because these are not his people. And that's what the ark is. So to move on to where I'm going right now, 
this is a point in time where David is going to retrieve the ark. But I want to point this out. Just because things are going a certain way in favor of David and the Israelites does not mean that they should toss out the directions and the explicit commandments of God when moving and transferring the ark. So similarly to me, just because things are going well or I have a poem that talks about Gethsemane and then talks about the cross does not mean that when he orders a program in a specific type of way that I should usurp that authority and insert what I think should be in there. He has a specific message for specific people. It's not my job to articulate or to decide what needs to be inserted and what doesn't. We go by the leading of his spirit and by leading his spirit only. And I made that mistake yesterday. So David makes a similar mistake in this story. So what I'm going to do, we're going to read through this chapter 6, and then we're going to get on up out of here. But I'm going to break it down as I'm reading it. So we start in the second Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. It says, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. That's a group of dudes. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name Yahweh of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark on a new cart and brought it out to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah Ahio, the son of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Now, this is the first issue. God had given specific directions on how to transfer this ark. First of all, it had to be carried by poles. So you couldn't like actually touch the ark. It was carried like, you've seen them old movies like in the medieval times when a, when a king is like being carried through the town and he's on poles and like his, his chair is like in the middle of the poles and like four dudes. That's how the ark was supposed to be transported. But priests were supposed to be on the poles. And only, the, only people who could be priests were the Levites back in the day. So four Levites had to be on four of those poles and that's how they transferred. But instead, these jokers put it on a brand new cart that was driven by oxen and this dude named Uzzah. So, this is, so that's wrong. So let's continue. Verse 4. He said, And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before, went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord of all kinds of instruments and fir wood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. So they was making a racket. They was praising, you know what I'm saying? It was praise and worship time. We got the ark back. You know what I'm saying? David brought out all the musicians. He brought out, he brought out the mass choir. You know what I'm saying? He brought the best drummers, the best pianists, all the organists. He brought all that stuff out, you know what I'm saying, to celebrate the retrieval of the ark. But this is where it gets serious. In the middle of all this, imagine this, in the middle of all this, verse 6, it says, And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand, to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of Yahweh was aroused against Uzzah, and God and Yah struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because Yahweh's out because of Yahweh's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And Perez Uzzah means I can tell you. Literally outburst against Uzzah. That's what it means. So this is what happened. So you got the ark, which is being transported wrong on the back of a cart. Now, we know what a cart looks like. You know, it's got the rims on the sides, but it's probably spacious in, in the middle. And it's not going to be just a direct cart that's formed to fit around the, around the ark so that the ark don't move. But it's going to be spacious. So the ark probably sliding back and forth because you're on a dirt road and you got oxen. 
you know what I'm saying, driving. You still got animals, you know what I'm saying? So you can imagine that. You've been on a hayride that's been driven by animals, you've been in a coach, been driven by a horse, you probably know, you know what I'm saying, it's not always going to be a smooth ride. So one of the oxen stumbled, and the dude driving it, other, he did something that was, you know, it seemed like a good thing to do. He put out his hand to steady because he didn't want the ark to fall over. But when he did that, the anger of the Lord was aroused against him. You struck him dead right there because it was being transported wrong to begin with. You know what I'm saying? So some call that a little bit, you know, too harsh. But let's, let's read a little bit and find out what the rest of the words say. And just I have these little breakdown points in here by uh, Ellen White. And I'm going to read one of them right now. It says, the great sin of presumption. It says, upon us rested the greater guilt of presumption. He was presumptive in his actions. Transgression of God's law had lessened his sense of sacredness, and with unconfessed sins upon him, he had, in the face of divine prohibition, presumed to touch the symbol of God's presence. God can accept no partial obedience, no lax way of treating his commandments. By the judgment upon others, he designed to impress upon all Israel the importance of giving strict heed to his requirements. So this is what happened. Uzzah reached out and touched an artifact that was to represent the very presence of God, and he had unconfessed sins. And since all of Israel had been tripping up until this point because of Saul, and you know what I'm saying, being presumptive and taking the ark in battle and getting whooped up by the Philistines, because they had already been tripping, they had forgotten what sacredness and holiness really was. Because if they had remembered it, they would have transported it right, but they treated it lax. You know what I'm saying? They treated it like any old affair. And because all of this was taking place and other had unconfessed sins, when he reached out and touched that drug, God was like, uh-uh, Slim. Who you think I am? Why are you playing around with stuff I told y'all to keep sacred? I'm God. You, if, I, if I'm not serious about this, what am I serious about? So he struck him down right then and there. And it was a requirement. It needed to happen. Because after it happened, they shaped up. Let me go on with verse 9. David was afraid of Yahweh that day. He said, how can the ark of Yahweh come to me? So David would not move the ark of Yahweh with him to the city of David, but David took it aside into a house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So right then and there, David takes the ark. He's like, look, this is, we ain't taking this joint to the city because clearly we did something wrong. So there's this house that we about to run past. We're going to leave this thing there, and we're going to go get myself right, make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to come back and get it. So he left it there. Now watch this. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And Yahweh blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So this artifact representing the very presence of God was left in this dude's house. And God blessed him and his whole family while that thing was there for three months, for a quarter of a year. I think that's, that's a boost for him because... It never said that this dude, Obed-Edom, asked for the ark to be there. David just made the choice to put it there. So it still shows how good God is. Yes, he made a point because a lesson needed to be learned, but he's still a good God because he blessed this dude's whole household when the ark was left there. You know what I'm saying? And he had nothing to do with Obed-Edom. He was a Gittite. He wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't even of the same. He wasn't even with the people. He was just some dude. And, by, and peep this. Now I'm just coming to me. It's like, this dude who's not a part of Israel is getting blessed by this God that he don't know nothing about. He's a Gittite. He wasn't an Israelite. So if he was a Gittite, not an Israelite, he probably had his own thing of worship. But now he has this artifact in his house that's supposed to represent the God of Israel, 
He's getting blessed beyond his wildest dreams. He knows it's coming from this. So now we're at the point of his conversion. Now, it doesn't speak to that specifically, but I can rest assured that that's probably what happened. What other reason would God bless him for but to show him is like, yes, I am the God of all, not just the Israelites, but this is because the reason why I say this is because of this. The Israelites were chosen to show the rest of the world how good God is so that they would yearn to serve him as well so that he could bless them. So that this whole thing, the whole reason why he chose Israel is to be his ambassadors, his light, his shining light to other people in the world to show him, say, hey, yes, this world is not all dark, doom, and gloom. All these false gods that you're making up that are not doing anything for you, let me show you what the real God of heaven and earth is. Let me show you who he is. And that's what the Israelites were supposed to do. But of course they didn't do it because you know, the enemy is still at work, and he did his best to usurp that order. So let's continue. Um, verse 12. Now it was told King David, saying, Yahweh has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of, the, of Yahweh had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before Yahweh with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Let me tell you what's going on right here. So David is confused, first of all. He was angry because, you know, God struck down Uzzah. But then after he had time to think about it, he was like, what am I doing wrong with this ark? That's why he asked the question, how is the ark going to come to me? I'm doing something wrong. But so you can imagine David going back home, thinking about everything he did wrong, possibly in repentance, repentance of anything he did wrong, apologizing to the Lord, and then looking for the Lord's acceptance of that so that he can go retrieve the ark and bring it back. The news of Obed-Edom being blessed for three whole months, he was pondering this for three whole months. He was thinking about this for three whole months, but when he hears about Obed-Edom getting blessed, he was like, all right, bet. If God is blessing him, this dude is not even an Israelite, if I go up there and I come correct this time, then maybe he'll allow me to transport this ox back. So this is what he did. He went up there, he got the priests, the Levites, carried that thing like it should have been carried. And not only that, every six paces, this dude stopped to sacrifice a cattle and an oxen according to Levitical law. Because a sacrifice for the people is for the sacrifice of sins. Every six paces he did that. That's a long walk. I mean, you had to stop every six paces to kill a fatted uh, oxen and a sheep, and then you move another six paces and you do it again? I mean, you think about that, like visualize that. And when he did it, he was realizing that he was taking the ark and it was getting closer and closer to the city and he brought it back with gladness because he knew that the father had accepted his repentance and, and realized that he had turned from his way of not treating things seriously that God had treated seriously. And I'm preaching to myself right now. I mean, God doesn't change. He means what he says. So when David came correct, he was so glad that God accepted him because he showed him that mercy. He could have just, you know what I'm saying, nah, this don't go stay with Obed-Edom. But he showed him mercy by being able to transport it to the city of David, a city bearing his name. And so he started dancing. He wore a linen ephod. You know what that means? That means he took off his gold ring, his gold chain. He took off the purple robes and the crown. And he just went ham and some sweats and a wife beater. And he just started dancing and dancing for, because he was so elated that the fact that he was able to bring the ark home, but more so than that, that he found favor again in the eyes of the Lord. But see, this is the thing. 
David had practice with being humble. This is the same brother that took out Goliath. He'd done this before this, mind you. This is the same brother who was being chased by Saul, who Saul was trying to kill him, and he had been delivered time and time again. This is the same brother that actually went and he raided and killed and pillaged for the Philistines at one point. And after all that in his past, Yah is still showing him favor by allowing him to bring the ark. What does that say to you and me? You know how much we jack up? How much we mess up? We make mistakes daily. Sometimes we repent. Sometimes we forget about it like it ain't no big thing. What we must remember as, what we must remember is the fact that the Father knows all of that. And he can no wise pardon those who do not repent. He can no wise leave, leave uh, the sinful, uh, leave the guilty sinful. I, I'm not saying that right. He can no, he can no wise clear the guilty. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank you, Father. He can no wise do that. You must confess to your sins because it's a very serious matter, and you got to treat it as such. You know what I'm saying? So, my in retrospect to my action the previous evening, I know I was wrong. I repented of my wrong, and. Because of that, I'm seeing the error of my ways and I'm coming in here to relay what I went through so that somebody might be encouraged to repent and seek forgiveness in the Father's eyes, which you will find. Because the word says, it's like, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It says that in here. You can take that to the bank. So let's finish the story up. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of Yahweh with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of Yahweh came into the city of David, Mishael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before Yahweh, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of Yahweh and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before Yahweh. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of Yahweh of hosts. Then he distributed among the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household, and Mishal, and Mishal, the daughter of Saul, came to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows, shamelessly uncovers himself. Let me tell you what she was talking about, real quick. She was blown because of the fact she saw her husband, she believed he was acting like a fool, when in reality, he was praising God the best way he knew how because he was remembering how far God had brought him. Have you ever gone to church and seen somebody praising the Lord and didn't understand they praise, or looked at them like they was crazy and judged them in your mind and your heart? That's what Michelle did to David. And she was the daughter of Saul, the dude just, <laughs> the king who was tripping, and this is what she had in her mind. She's like, you was exposing yourself, and all the maids, all these other women looking at you dancing like this, and they probably lusting over you. So she's not even focused on what's going, she's not looking at him saying, man, you know, my husband's going through a lot, and he's just praising God, because I, I know he's thankful right now. That's what she should have been thinking, but instead, nah. It's like, nah, my husband's acting a fool. He's embarrassing me. So because of that, I'm about to, talk, I'm about to give him a piece of my mind was the wrong way to look at it. I've been guilty of that before too, seeing people praise God in a manner I didn't understand, but I've come to the understanding now that not to judge nobody, they've been through a lot. Shoot, 
I know y'all saved me from death a couple times, taking me out of situations that I've gotten myself in. He's still doing it even to this day. Mess that I done got myself in. And I'm going to praise him the best way I know how. But don't you dare ever judge another person's praise, ever. That was what happened with Damon. Damon was doing that in our church. People looked at him like he was crazy, but he was just doing the best thing he knew how. Now he's further along in this thing that I ever thought he would be, man. All praise to the Most High. Let's continue. About to finish this chapter up. Verse 21. So David said to Mishal, it was before Yahweh who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of Yahweh over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before Yahweh. <laughs> anyway, he was saying, look, God chose me, so I'm going to do what I'm doing. You ain't going to sit here and dictate my praise. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Mishal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Whew! That's the end of the chapter. So because Mishal judged her husband and the praise he was given, trying to censor it. You see how the devil is? You, and you know, I'm sure that the thought was sparked by him. Because the devil, get, he gets angry and stuff like that. And if he can't get at you, he's going to go after those he loves. He's going to try to affect you some way, shape, or form. He's going to try to mess with you some way, shape, or form. And I'm sure he tried to do it through Mishal to David. And when that happened, David shut that mess down like he should have. Because he realized, it's like, you can't tell me nothing. Somebody who's praising God the best way they know how, especially when they think about everything that God has done for them. How you going to judge that? How you going to censor that? You can't do it. You can't make them comply. You can't do it. You let the Holy Spirit lead because... Where the Spirit of the Lord is, Yahweh is, there's liberty. I bring all this up to, you know, drive back home the point. It's good to be humble. Yahweh respects it. He looks for it in us. Because when we show that to him, we show that we have a dependence on him, which is what all of us need. So we need to be dependent on him. Uh, there was a story um, a while ago. What was this? It was the latest hurricane or something like that. It's, people got flat. I think it was in Florida. Um, the last hurricane that came through, hurricane winds, it's like Category 4 or something. It was supposed to be a Category 5. I cannot remember exactly where. I'm sorry, not in Florida. It was in the Carolinas. That's where it hit. It's um, north of South Carolina. There was this one part. I put it up on my, like, my Facebook page or something. Where this dude who had been affected, you know, a uh, news reporter went up to him. And they was like, you know, like, what are you going to do? Like, how, how is this affecting you? He's like, you know, they ask these ridiculous questions that people ain't got the answer to right there on the spot. It's so stupid. But he answered the question, and, you know, he's standing by his red pickup truck, and he pointed over to a pile that was on the ground. And he was like, you see that right there? That's all I own. And it was like a coat, a couple of knickknacks, a shaver or something like that. But his response to the question was very profound and wise. He was like, you know what? I appreciate God humbling me. We all need it sometimes. That's what his response was after losing all he had. He's like, I appreciate God humbling me because we all need it sometimes. Word says we're in need of humility and patience, and I believe it. And every day that I am allowed to breathe, I learn more and more about that. I learn how to not place my mind or my thought above his. Sometimes I slip up, case in point last evening. 
But it's never going to be to the case or to the point where I'm just like, nah, man. I was really in the right for that. Well, nah, man, it's my way or the highway. I can't go back to that. I used to think like that before I knew him, before I had interaction with him or revelations about him, but I realized I don't know nothing. That's why he's showing me the oldest new truth about who he is, who he really is, what his real name is, and who his real people are. Where that information gets applied in the future, I don't know. That ain't my job. Right now, I'm in a process of learning and seeking truth. That's all I can do. And I advise you to do the same thing. Aside from that, I really didn't have much to say, but uh, appreciate you guys listening. Uh, next week, you know we're going to be in the studio. Happy Thanksgiving coming up. I hope everybody going out getting all the groceries you need, getting fat. You know what I'm saying? I think I got, yeah, we back around the time when we got uh, announcements. And um, I know Vox Wave Studios doing a toy drive here um, at, uh, at, um, at the studio. And the address for the studio is 4711 Off Place, Suitland, Maryland. The drop-off deadline is December 20th. It's a collaborative effort. It's the second annual collaborative effort uh, for, to drop off uh, all unreaped toys. I think that's not, it's, it's all unreaped toys, and the toys that ain't open, pretty much. But they're doing the toy drive here, and uh, that's good work, you know, brightening up the holidays for a couple for a couple kids, man. It's a good thing to do. But um, other than that, you know, I ain't got too much else to say. We're going to close out with a word of prayer. That's about it. Father, thank you for the lessons that you, um, that you show us, that you, uh, that you, you manifest to, to make us better, to humble us. Thank you for your methods and your ways of bringing us about to learn these new things that we definitely need to know. Mistakes and the failures help us to grow, help us to become stronger. And I pray to continually learn and to be in a continual position of growth. Please be with uh, O. The rest of the brothers and sisters who uh, come on this show, the rest of the brothers and sisters in Hood Proud, Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Please be with all families that are represented here and bring us through the rest of this week. In your son, Yeshua's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for uh, watching us. Thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. Yes, sir. Ron. Run. Good.